would invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1, and uh, I want to look at the opening verses of this chapter, and then in addition to that, I want to go over to chapter 3 as well. This is a pastor's sneaky way of squeezing two sermons in one morning. This is a fascinating book. This is Paul's last will and testament. He's incarcerated. He's going to die in jail in Rome. And uh, he writes this wonderful, heart-wrenching letter to a character by the name of Timothy, this young man that Paul encounters and adopts as a son, as a spiritual son. It's not that Timothy doesn't have a father. Timothy does have a father. He has a father who's a Greek, who's an unsaved father. He has a mother who's a believer, a grandmother who's a believer. And uh, about five years ago, now it is five years ago, we looked at the character of um, Timothy's mom and his grandmom. And this year I want to take it a step further. And knowing that you forgot what happened five years ago, I'm going to use that as the springboard to introduce us as to what is it that these women did for Timothy. How do we end up with a Timothy that Paul is so fond of that in the last inspired book that he wrote, now we have to understand something, we, we know this of course from Sunday school and from other times, that the, the, the books are not in chronological order. And, and I don't know, you're saying, well, wait a minute now, Titus, Titus is right here, Titus comes after 2 Timothy, I know, but that's not when it was written. And uh, First Timothy was written first, then Titus was written, then Paul writes the second letter to Timothy. And it's an important letter, and that's why the timing of it is so important. What would you say if you had opportunity to say your last words? Would you say your last words? Or would you be silent if you received that hard news? Would, would you say something? Would you call people together? What would you say? And how would you say it? And Paul is writing this letter. And when you read it through, and I always recommend that you read it through in one sitting. And read it through with a little imagination. Now, I don't have a great imagination. But I have enough of an imagination to think about final meetings, final times together. The hardness, the difficulty of saying goodbye to people. And my family will testify, I hate saying goodbye to people, uh, especially them when they're going on a flight someplace and I can't go. But uh, I'm lousy at airports. They have that TV show, uh, Hello, Goodbye. And I, I, they'd have me on for a whole hour uh, because that would consume that much time. It would take me a while to get myself coherent and able to say something. Uh, it's hard to say goodbye. And here is Paul's goodbye to this young man, Timothy. And it covers the whole gamut. It covers Timothy's life, his experience, Paul's relationship with him, Paul's relationship with others, his disappointment in some people. And obviously, it has solid doctrine in it. 
And so we have this wonderful little letter. We're going to read from verse 3 to 5 in chapter 1, and then we'll jump over to uh, chapter 3 and pick up 14 to 17. Paul writes, and he says in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. The way my forefathers did is I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I might, may, may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. Now jump over to chapter 3 for a moment. You, however, continue in the things which you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And Paul, as he's writing to young Timothy, he is speaking to him, and he is speaking to him as one who is in the faith. But when he says he's in the faith, and he, we regard him as being in the faith, we don't mean that he just has an intellectual understanding of some of the facts of the gospel. Many times the presentation of the gospel gets short-circuited because we take that shortcut and we say, well, if you just believe, but we don't really define what believe is. And you say, you mean we have to define what believe is? I have to tell you, in this culture, we have to define just about everything. And so Paul is speaking of Timothy and he is regarding him as one who is a faithful man and he is one who is real. And so he says, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. It's the real faith. It's the real thing. And I don't like to sound like a Coca-Cola commercial, but when he talks about faith, he says this is real faith. It's not just a mere intellectual nodding of the head to a few facts about the gospel, a few facts about Christ. It's the real faith. It is a sincere faith. It's a faith that when you look at it and examine it at every point, you're able to say it's real. A few years ago, some of you remember this, I went down to the corner store here. I was very wealthy that day. I had a $5 bill in my pocket. And I went into the store, and I was very confident. I laid the $5 bill on the counter, and the, the young man at the counter picks it up, and he says, I have bad news for you. And I thought, it's got the queen on it and the whole bit. And I looked at it. He said, this is counterfeit. And I thought, who did I get that from? I think it was Nathan Hamm. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> so where'd that come from? I, I looked at that and I thought to myself, are you telling me it's counterfeit? He says, well, take, take your purchase and, and then settle up later on. I said, I can't. He said, well, sure you can. I said, no, I can't. I said, I've got this $5 bill and I've got to come to terms with, is this real or not? And uh, so I went to the police. Uh, and, and I happened to see an officer. It was good. And I saw him. Actually, he wasn't at Tim's when I saw him. So I, I, I went and I, I showed him the $5 bill. I said, I was told this is counterfeit. And, uh, and of course, he said, he looked at it. He said, no, it's not. He said, and he knew, he knew his, his dollars. And he said, this was one of those ones. And he told me, remember the, how the silver thing is? And then they did this. And now we're into the plastic stuff. And uh, 
He knew exactly when it came off the mint. And I went away feeling pretty good. But I didn't take it back down there again, for sure. <laughs> but I knew at least I had some verification from somebody that it was real, that it was bona fide, that it had the marks of being genuinely a $5 bill. But you see, our faith has to be genuine. It has to be recognizable. It has to be an active faith. It has to be a life-transforming faith. It has to be a faith that drives us through this life that we would follow after Christ and bring honor and glory to him. Benjamin Keats was a great catechizer, and uh, he wrote the Baptist Catechism. Uh, he's a wonderful man to whom Baptists are indebted to, and they don't know it. He introduced congregational singing to the Baptist church. It's hard for us to think there was a time when there was hardly any singing in the church. Well, it used to be Latin, of course, in the Dark Ages, in the days of Roman Catholicism. And then later on, uh, it was, became uh, the singing of the Psalms. And sadly, at that time, they only had a few tunes. So every hymn, in a sense, or every psalm sounded the same. And in the progress of time, Benjamin Keats started writing hymns. And fascinatingly, you have to go through hymn book after hymn book. You'll never find a hymn by Benjamin Keach. But he is actually the father of hymnody in Baptist circles at least. And he wrote a catechism. He was a great catechizer sitting down, not with the kids and catechizing them, but sitting down with the adults teaching them how to catechize their kids. And he has written and this question and answer. And that's what catechism is. You ask a question, you give the answer. And this is what he says. Here's the question, 93, in case you're counting. 93, what is faith in Jesus Christ? This is how he describes it. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace. Bang on, he's got it right there just in saying that. It is a saving grace. It comes by God's grace. It is a compelling faith. It is a life-changing faith. It is a turnaround faith. And, and Keach has it right on that. And he says, it's a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation. Now, these are good words, and we need to pay attention to them. This is how we rest in Christ. We rest on him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. In other words, we present Jesus, who he is and what he's done the fullness of his glory, identifying him and recognizing that linked to Jesus, of course, is the doctrine of the Trinity, that we worship a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God the Father sent God the Son to die on Calvary's cross for sinners like you and I. And God the Holy Spirit convicts us of our need of Christ that we would come to him in faith and repentance. That's gospel. That's good news. And that's the word that needs to be preached everywhere, particularly today. And Paul is saying, your faith, Timothy, is sincere. It's real. As Paul regards this young man in the faith who had his struggles, who had his ups and downs. But recall that Paul left him as the point man in Ephesus. And that's no small job. Paul ministered in Ephesus for some three years. And then he goes on in ministry. But later on, we have Timothy stationed in Ephesus, this young man, and Paul writes him. And of course, the book of Ephesians is written to that church, obviously. And 1 Timothy is written to Timothy in Ephesus. And he is still, no doubt, stationed in Ephesus when this letter is written as well. So this young man is for real. And it begs the question, in our day and age, and we were talking about it this morning in our house, 
We need real men. No offense, ladies. Say, how can you say this on Mother's Day? Don't worry, I'm getting to it. But we need real men, real theologians, real strong men in the faith so that we're not scratching our head about these people. We need men who will stand for Christ. Now, how did Timothy become such a man? See, now I'm going to get off the hook with all you mothers. How is it that he became such a man? Well, we have it here in our passage. I am mindful, verse 5, of the sincere faith within you. Where did it come from? Which first dwelt, and now he's given the history lesson, in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well, which he already has said in the first part of the verse. He attributes the faith of this young man to his grandmom, who saw as her mandate not to spoil him, but grandmom saw as her mandate to work in concert with his mother to train Timothy in the faith. And that's hard work, and that's demanding work. And I don't think that in, if you were to pick up um, a, a feminist-oriented magazine, and they're easy to find, I don't think very much that you'd find uh, them going back in a history lesson and honoring these two mothers. Eunice and Lois, who saw as their mandate to bring this man up in the Lord, to bring him up in a gospel environment, to bring him up to grow into the sincere faith that is delivered once to the saints by grace in God. You see, Timothy just didn't happen to come to this by himself. This came by virtue of these godly women. We couldn't depend on his father. His father wasn't a believer. And sometimes mothers end up having to do it alone. And if you have to do it alone, if you're married to a non-saved man, or if you're married to a lazy man, and you have to do it alone, do it alone. Do it alone. But these two women were committed to this young man to bring him up in the faith. And so he, he says this. This is on my mind. When he says, I am mindful of this, he's writing, not just writing down a few helpful hints for Timothy, he's pouring out his heart to this man. He's pouring out the contents of his mind. And he says, this is what I think of when I think of you. I think of your mom. I think of your grandmom. And I think of the commitment that they had to instill in you a real faith. Now we know that Timothy ran in fits and starts because Paul later on tells him in the next verse, actually, to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And he brings to bear upon Timothy that which was given to him at home. It really does start at home, you know. You begin to realize how little time we're here. We're here for Sunday school. That's just a little bit of time. We're, we're here for morning service. That's just a little bit of time. We're here for Sunday evening service. That's another little block of time. And, and, and then the midweek prayer meeting. There's another block of time. And then any other assorted activities and gatherings that may take place within the context of any congregation, our own and others here that are represented this morning. That's a very small a little bit of time here, the time of the service, a little bit of service, a little bit of time when, maybe a Friday night or a Saturday. That's very sound. Ministry times gets, it's the home. 
Billy Graham years ago was being taken on a tour. He was in Washington preaching, and Washington sure does need preaching today, but he was there, and he was doing a series of services. And uh, the chaplain uh, of the Moran, Richard Halverson, solid believer, good man. And he was taking around, and he said, when I was given this tour of Washington, I was shown the White House. And I was told, this is the heart of America. And he said, I thought about that and thought about it and thought about it. And one day I encountered the man that gave me the tour. And I said to him, do you remember how when we were touring and you were kindly showing me around every place and you showed me the White House and said, this is the heart of America? He said, I've, I've got some news for you. That's wrong. It's the home that is the heart of America. It's the home that is the heart of Canada. And if the home is neglected, and it has been, and if it's under attack, and it is being, if it disintegrates, then what will be left? Let's face it, how did we get here this morning? We came from our home. We're not spending the week here. We're going back home. What happens in the home is of primary importance to you, to me, to your life, to your eternity. And here's this man, disadvantaged because of an indifferent, unsaved father. And here are these two women that take upon themselves the ministry of laying their hands upon him in a life-changing way by bringing the truth to him. Now you say, well, how do you know that they did all this? Well, I do know they did all this because Paul tells us that they did this. Let's look at it. Let's flip over to chapter 3. <clears throat> what was imparted to Timothy? It wasn't loosely held truths that were imparted. But rather we notice this. We read that in verse 14, Paul urges upon Timothy that he continue in what he has learned. In other words, he takes him back home. And he's speaking in that context. Now, how do we know he's taking him back home? Well, we'll see that in a moment. But you'll notice what he says. You continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. And we get a picture here of the gravity of this young man. He has been well taught. He has learned. And he has become absolutely convinced. This is God's word. This is the truth. And I'm to live by the truth. And I'm to stand by the truth. And I'm to be willing to die for the truth. And as you read of some of the great, if you've read Fox's Book of Martyrs, or Joel Beakey wrote this wonderful book a few years ago called Meet the Puritans. It's a phenomenal book. Uh, he's a phenomenal man, and we're blessed to have such a man. He's just down in, in Grand Rapids and a great fellow. And, and he, he takes man after man after man after man, and he dissects their lives. And you know what? You'll find out that very few of these people came from helter-scouter homes that didn't have the foggiest notion what a home was, what a man was, what a woman was, what a husband was, what a wife is, and all the rest of it. They knew where they were going. They knew what they were doing. They were teaching God's word. And Paul exhorts Timothy, and he says, you continue in what you've learned. 
And as we learn the word and as we teach the word, we want our children to hear the word. We want them to embrace the word. We want them to know we're telling them the truth. And Paul says, this is how you're to live. You've learned them. Now notice what he says. He sets this up here for us. He says, you have learned and become convinced of knowing them from whom you have learned them. Okay, now, when did he learn them? Verse 15. And that from childhood. Now, this is a fascinating word. Paul could have used a word that would have more captured young men and young women. He could have used a word that more uh, entailed uh, a teenager. He could have used a word. There's a word that, that is understood as adolescent. Uh, it's not adolescent in the Greek, but it's understood as being uh, a, a lady growing into womanhood and a, a boy growing into manhood. He could have done that, and he didn't. He could have used a word for a little child. But fascinatingly, what he uses is a word that says from childhood, which is what most translations will give us that kind of rendering, but he's actually talking from infancy. You were surrounded with the word from day one. You were surrounded by the word when you didn't understand the word. I stayed with a family years ago down in, in New Jersey at a pastor's conference, and the, it was a wonderful house. It was a girl's house. Uh, th this guy, he had a wonderful business and worked hard at it, and, and uh, he was surrounded by these wonderful gals and his wife. And at supper time, the, the kid said, Dad, tell your testimony. Tell your testimony. And it was myself and a, a wonderful pastor by the name of John King, who had the strangest things happen to him, like getting invited to ask a blessing at a Burger King opening and all sorts of bizarre things that stand out of my mind. But uh, the kids are saying, Dad, tell, tell Pastor Don and Pastor John, t tell them your testimony. Tell them. They, they'd heard it dozens of times. They were always entertaining missionaries and pastors and guests to the church. Whenever they were saying somebody's coming and they may need a place overnight, that's where they went. And here we were. And he was telling the story. And then he took, he said, well, I have a picture to show you. And he took a picture, and I, he, I looked at him, and I thought, boy, he's got hair like Crystal Gale. That's for you who remember her. Down, down, long. And there he was. And I thought to myself, hey, he didn't have a bad hair day. And he said, I used to ride around on my motorbike, and I had my friends, and I wasn't doing much of anything, and it was just, just born to be wild and going down the highway and the whole nine yards. And he said, I was waiting for the next adventure. I could hardly wait to see what was going to happen. And we broke down one time, and it was somewhere in Missouri. I forget the city. And we broke down, and the, the, it was too late to fix the bike. A part was needed, and this man took us into his home. And we got into the home, and as soon as we got into the home, we're sitting around the table. He said, they just said, supper's on. They didn't even invite us. They said, supper's on. And it came time for supper. And then they stood up. And they're looking around, what's going on here? It's a Passover. They stood up and they sang, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And the man at the house led in prayer. And they're sitting there. You've got to be impressed by that. That haunted him. It haunted him the rest of the bike trip. And it haunted him all the way back. 
And then a few short years later, he found himself just never knowing what he was going to do. And he said, I can't stand this anymore. I hate my life. He was free to roam here, there, and everywhere. Just like everybody says, I want to be free. I want to do whatever I want to do. I just want to go, 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 go. And he didn't want to go, go, go. He didn't know how to stop. And somehow, and we know how, the Lord brought him into the church. And he heard the gospel. It was the first good news he'd heard. And the Lord saved him. And he saved them that day. He didn't go into negotiations. He didn't say, well, I'll do this later on. And then he got married. And then they ended up in Pastor Martin's church back in Jersey. And here are these gals. And every time company comes, I was doing the dishes with his wife. Uh, that sounds familiar to those of you that know me. And uh, I have a dishwashing background because that was my, my mom and I. That was our time. And I'm doing dishes with his wife. And she says, he tells that story. Because the kids say again and again, tell, us, tell it again, tell the story again. The kids could tell the story. But they wanted to hear it from the real man, the authentic man. And they determined, we are going to bring up our kids from the time they're born. They're going to be surrounded with God's word. And we're going to bring that to them and bring that over there. To and the other two, from childhood, from Noah, we are to teach them about Adam and Eve. We're to teach them about Samson. And we're to teach them Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. We're to do that. But we're to teach the doctrine that surrounds the story. And Paul says, here's what these two ladies engaged in. From childhood, you have known the sacred writings. They couldn't grab it off the bookshelf. The Bible was in the synagogue. And it was the Old Testament. They couldn't sit down with Timothy and say, well, let's read. It hadn't been written. And if it had been written, they wouldn't have had it. All the conveniences that you and I have. And if you think through history, the, the, the saints didn't have the conveniences that you and I have. The Puritans didn't have the conveniences that you and I have. And the Puritans changed England for a lifetime. And it has been the ignoring of God's word and the preaching of God's word that has left England low. And you wonder if it will recover. And the only way in which it will recover is if people get back to church, preachers get back to preaching, and God shows mercy to England that it doesn't deserve. And the only way in which this country and across the border will ever get back is the same way. And here's this young man that these women invested their life into, training him, training, growing up, 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 that you will know the sacred writings. And they had a goal in mind, as you see from the passage, because it tells us that you will know the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ. We're presenting the word, and we are leading them to Christ. And you say, well, what if they don't want to go? Well, you lead them to Christ anyway. You don't sit down and have a family meeting and say, okay, how many of you are interested in Christ? Oh, no takers. Oh, well. No. They labored with him, making him wise, surrounding him with the word. God's word says this, and that's all that matters. It's not a matter of God says it, I believe it, that settles it. No, no, God says it, period, and that settles it. I don't vote on it. God has spoken, 
And we're to pass, pass that on and pass that on. You say, that's hard work. Who says it wasn't? Who says it wasn't? Mrs. Wesley surrounded. We didn't have time to attend Sunday school this morning. Mrs. Wesley surrounded by these yahoos, a.k.a. her children. And when Mrs. Wesley put the apron over her head, the kids knew it was time to settle down, let the dust settle. Mom is praying. She didn't have a quiet room. She didn't have what our culture needs. Everybody in our culture, oh, I need my space. Will you knock it off? Her space was a kitchen floor and an apron over her head, praying for the souls of her children. There's no wonder that John gets saved. There's no wonder that Charles gets saved. There's no wonder that Mark gets saved. There's no wonder these kids get saved when they were surrounded by the passion of a mother who loved the Lord and a grandmom who loved the Lord, and they set their sights on this man, Timothy. It came from mom. It didn't come from dad. It should have come from dad. He was unsaved. He was incapable of bringing faith to his kids, his kid. It came from these godly women. And Timothy stood in the faith. You have become convinced. You have learned. You have wisdom that comes from the word. And you have a solid faith that is Christ-directed. That's why when Paul uses this expression, he says it, is, it leads to salvation. That's why the word is preached. Why do we preach to save people? We're preaching for sanctification. We want them to grow in Christ. We want them to be strong in the faith. We want them to have a good understanding of theology that when they look at the world, they're able to look at it through the scriptures and look at the world through God's word, not through how they feel about what's going on in the world. And we have this picture of this man, Timothy, and he has received this teaching. We preach to the saints for their sanctification. We preach to the lost for their salvation. It can't be the reverse. It can't be the reverse. Teaching kids to do Christian things is a very noble activity. We don't want them to be loose cannons running amok and making a mess of their life. But we know one thing, sure and shooting, that the only way in which this is ever going to have impact in their lives is when they're saved, they must come to Christ. And we're to labor that point until they do come to Christ. And so we have these ladies in that commitment. Now we know what they were teaching. Here's the curriculum. And it's perfect curriculum where Paul says at this point, you have received the writings. Well, what about those writings? You see, sometimes we miss the continuity of this. And here it is. We oftentimes jump into to, uh, 3.16 and talk about the word of God and how good the word is, and it is, and, and how wicked it is to tamper with the word, to change the word, to water down the word, to deny the word. And those are abominations in the sight of God. But we need to see the flow of the passage. And it starts with a child named Timothy who receives the word of God from mom and grandmom. And as a result of that, then Paul says, all scripture is inspired by God. This is the book. This is the word. This is where we go. And this is what they learned. And this is what has come into Timothy's life. It's profitable for teaching. It needs to be taught. We need to open up the word. We come for one purpose whenever we gather together here on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday evening, to open up the word. 
We want to know what the word says. We look to the word. And we have this, this man, Timothy, has been directed to the word that is God-inspired, God-breathed. It is holy. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is authoritative. And Paul tells us it is for teaching that we learn doctrine. It's for reproof that we learn what highways to keep off of. And it's for correction when we sin against God and where we have to be brought to repentance and obedience and restoration. And Paul says, here's the word. This is the curriculum. This is what it's for. This is how it has come. And we're to yield ourselves to it. And as a result, they have received teaching, verse 16, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. That's what they gave him. That's what they labored in. We don't want young people, and we don't want old people, totally adrift, not knowing what's right and what's wrong. And I always remember, and I've heard it not just from young people, but I've heard it from adults as well, where people say, how do I know what's true? How do I know what's right? When you pick this up, you've come to the right book. We know what's right. We know what's true. We don't need legislation. We don't need a vote. We don't need a panel discussion. We need to know what God has said. And you look at the mess in which Timothy was living. All you have to do is read Romans chapter 1. If you want to know the environment of, of Timothy's life, what was going on in his world, all you need to do is read Romans chapter 1. And you would think you were at the parliament you would think you were in the, in the provincial parliament or the federal parliament and all the legislation that is being brought upon us, or you think you were listening to uh, all the writings and ramblings that come off the television set, etc. Timothy was brought up in the same wicked environment that you and I are brought up in. Now, I know they're high-tech in our generation, but sin is sin is sin. Depravity is depravity is depravity. And here these women against all the political correctness of Rome in that generation, standing up and teaching this man the truth. That's commitment. What if he doesn't want it? He doesn't get a vote. He doesn't get a vote. When, when my mother used to send me to uh, young peoples, there was one thing that she didn't ask when I get back. She didn't say, did you have a good time? Some parents parent that way. We, we had a lady back home, and, and her kid came, and she had a wonderful time until Bible study. And then she looked like she spent a life sucking lemons for sun-kissed. And, and so, so the mother says, well, my daughter's not coming anymore. I say, how come? Well, she didn't have fun. And I said, well, we, that was not the purpose of the meeting. That was secondary. The fun comes. I, I like fun. I had fun going on four years ago. But no, I like fun. I like doing stuff, and anyone that's been around here knows that when we do something, it's never quite normal, and that has something to do with the pastor, I guess. I don't know, but that's not the issue. The issue is the truth. The issue is salvation. The issue is just where do you think you'll spend eternity? How do you think somehow you'll escape the word of God, you'll, you'll escape all of that at the end, 
just because you have the smarts of the world. No. That's not, on the, that's not on the agenda. The agenda is what does God say? Well, notice as we come to verse 17, what's the end result? Because what were these people, these women teaching for? And what is teaching for anyway? Why are we doing this? Why do we preach? Why do we have a service like this? Why is it that, that we come back on a Sunday night? There's other things to do. Didn't you know, Pastor, there were other things? I know that. I know that. Somebody's playing hockey tonight. Somebody's playing hockey every night. Till June. Well, here it is. Look at the word. Have it in front of you. And you see that great declaration of Timothy from childhood, verse 15. You learn the sacred word. What's the sacred word? The definition. Scripture inspired by God. What's the goal? Here it is, verse 17. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Our number one responsibility as, as parents is to lead our children to Christ. But then beyond that, we need to teach them how to live in a world like this. How do you teach a kid to live in a world like this? How do you do it without God's word? You can't do it without God's word. And we're not to throw them to the dogs and allow them to do it on their terms. Our children are given to us by covenant. And we're to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We're to labor at that. And here are these two ladies, against all odds, laboring with this young Timothy over and over and over again and it comes to the end of the day and Paul is saying Timothy you're a man with a sincere faith Timothy you're the real thing you're the real McCoy remember that you're the real McCoy that was a saying from way back then I don't think it was very popular in Romania <laughs> you're the real McCoy that's not even a Romanian name why are we pouring all this in why are we working, working, working? A few years ago, I, I heard a man speaking, and he saw this mother teaching her, her daughter how to walk, and her daughter was falling, and mother was picking her up and encouraging her and doing all those things that mom does and dads do as well, hopefully. And He went up to the lady, and he said, how long are you going to be doing this with your child? Your daughter. And she said, what? Well, how, how long are you going to be doing that? And she said, I'm going to do it till she starts walking. And then he asked this question. He was a pastor. He asked this question. Are you going to spend the same amount of time on their soul? Ouch. That hurts, doesn't it? Are you going to spend the same amount of time on their soul? I'm going to teach this kid until she learns how to walk. I'm going to teach this kid until she learns how to play the piano. We have any pianists in our house. We're going to teach this kid until, until he's able to do this. I'm going to teach this kid until he can throw a football. I'm going to teach him to do this. I'm going to teach it. That's good. We've got to know how to throw a football. Right, Richard? We've got to know how to throw a football. At least I have somebody to catch with. 
how to throw it right. I'm going to teach him how to grip that ball. I'm going to show him how to do it, where exactly to hold it, just the way Johnny Unitas did it. You say, Johnny who? Don't worry about it. But I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do it right. Well, that's really good that he can throw the football. It's good. It's a perfect spiral. That's really nice. I don't think that's really going to count for eternity. What are we to teach? What's our priority? What's the priority of these women? The priority, teach the word. Teach the word. Paul later tells Timothy that he's to preach the word in season and out of season, whether people like it or not. And we're to do it. And we're to do it. And we're to do it. And we're not to stop until the Lord calls us home. We're always teaching and always laboring. And we're thankful. I'm indebted to my mom this morning. Always, always teaching. Brought up in the Church of England in a place where the gospel was preached. We have two kinds of churches. Uh, the Church of England, the high church that was very ceremonial, and the low church. I find it funny. I'm no offense if you're that background. I'm that background too. And she was brought up under gospel preaching. And I remember that. And I remember her stories about life in Hampton, New Brunswick. And, and going to the little church and, and hearing the word. And I know the church she went to in St. John, where the word was preached. The church was built in the 1700s. And my mom and grandma settled in that church in St. John. And that church is still, incidentally, preaching the gospel today. Phenomenal. And we're to be preaching the gospel today. And we're to be thankful today for those that have preached the gospel to us. And we can't go by this day without being thankful to our moms for what they did for us in preaching Christ to us and contributing to our salvation. And may we bow before our Lord and give thanks. And may those of you that are outside of Christ think of what you've been taught and see your need of him this day and come to him in repentance and faith. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Father, it's very easy for us to think of our world and the situations that we find ourselves surrounded by and to say, well, this is all too hard. This is beyond my capability. And we could make up all sorts of excuses, except we are without excuse. We know that if we aim at nothing, we'll hit it every time. You've given us your word. You've given us the target. You've given us the audience. And we're to labor to introduce Christ early to introduce the awfulness of sin the need of salvation the importance of the word turning to Christ repenting of sin bowing before him being made into a new creature that all things are are passed away and behold all things are now new and we're to labor in prayer and as we bow in prayer now, we know that there was a mum that was praying for us, those of us that were benefited by a Christian home, that there was a mum who prayed for us and perhaps for some a grandmom who prayed. But we know, Lord God, that we're not here by accident. People prayed, people preached, people taught, and we are benefactors of your grace. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this day and cause us, Lord, who have teaching responsibilities to continue on no matter how discouraged and difficult it is. 
and cause those, Lord God, who are here outside of Christ to see their losses and their need of Christ and to come to him. We thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for your mercy. We ask your blessings upon our moms here this day and others that are on our heart that couldn't be here. And we pray, Lord, that you would minister through them and use them and cause us, Lord, to be thankful, to live by your word, and to follow after you till you call us home. We pray in Jesus' name.